What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and mm, you know, look, Living Corporate has been around since 2018, and there have been countless slayings of black and brown bodies in the five years that we've been doing this, and so yet again, uh, we're faced with a reminder of a few different things. One, that we are not in a post-racial society. Um, Two, that words and actions by our civic political leaders matter. And that three, the threat of of death is ever present for historically marginalized people. The suddenness and randomness of these losses is triggering. Um, it's, it's challenging. Um, Jacksonville is the latest, um, but it certainly wasn't the first nit sadly will not be the last and I I just at a certain point I I just I get at a loss for words I I will say it's moments like these that remind me and really reinforce why employee experience is so critical you know like your employees in this moment now I'm talking to leaders your employees in this moment yeah they're looking for a statement on Jacksonville they are. They're looking for you to make a statement on Jacksonville's. Your black and brown employees, your black employees specifically, are looking, especially your black employees in the Florida who live and work in Florida or who, or who maybe do business and frequent Florida often. They're looking for you to make a statement. And you can act like it's not a big deal or whatever. I want you to know that you're losing those employees. Now, maybe you want to lose them. That wouldn't be a good financial decision to because it costs money to replace talent but maybe you're on a downwind anyway so you're just like hey I'm just going to be disengaged as a leader to encourage folks to get out of here the people I didn't want here anyway I don't know but if you're not trying to alienate your talent they're looking for a statement but beyond them looking for a statement that you publish on your social media that'll get a bunch of uh, positive press if worded well and promoted effectively. They're really looking for your policies and processes and procedures to reinforce why their lives matter at your job. So are there programs and leadership tracks and sponsorship opportunities? Uh, Are there benefits to help support ongoing education and certification and learning are there transparent pay policies are there clear performance management guidelines and transparent performance management processes and practices these things actually reinforce and tie back into like the everyday lived experience of your black employees 
I'm not expecting and several, most employees are not expecting for their employer to end racism or to somehow stop gun violence. They are looking for employees to, they are looking for their, their leaders to create an environment where at least where they know when they log in to their day to day that they matter, that they matter. And again, not in some esoteric, theoretical, lovey-dovey way. No, that their careers matter, that their livelihood matters. And there's things you can do to just create a strong employee experience that would reinforce that their lives matter. I think it's this thing we do with diversity, equity, and inclusion lately. And really since the murder of George Floyd, all these really terrible actors have come in and they've made DEI like this separate entity that exists way over in the corner somewhere. But in reality, DEI is critical in strong employee experience. And you need to have strong employee experience to retain your employees and get them producing at the levels that you want. If you can't connect the dots between DEI, employee experience, and engagement and talent strategy, uh, then you're doing it wrong. Anyway, look, that, you know, I, I wanted to speak quickly briefly on the events of the weekend um, I'm praying for my family who, who lives in Florida my friends who live in Florida and in addition to praying I'm acting so I want to make sure you click the link in the show notes uh, to donate to local institutions and causes in and around Jacksonville make sure you do that and make sure that if you're a leader, especially if you're a leader in the Florida area, um, that you're pushing for systemic changes in your organization so that the employees, that all employees, particularly your black and brown employees, know that they are valued and that they matter. Now, with that being said, I'm excited about the conversation we I were able to have today with Danny Guillory. Now, those who know, Danny Guillory has been on the show like several times. Like, um, like Quiet is Kept, truly one of my favorites. I mean, like no disrespect to the hundreds of other people that have been on this show because y'all are my favorites too. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> Danny's like a three-peater. Like he's been on the show several times, right? And he always drops gems when he comes on. Thankful, talk about his role at, at Glassdoor. We talk about you know, some of the work he's been able to do and drive as a leader, um, in, in, um, in this space and his pivot from DEI to like this head of people and how, how everything comes together, talking about the landscape, talking about the future of work and the future of the DEI, of the DEI space with this, um, the rise of artificial intelligence. And of course, I'm about to, I ain't about to spoil it. I ain't about to do all this. You know what I'm saying? We're going to pay some bills. All right. Then after that, you're going to hear this conversation. Super fire. Talk to you soon. Living Corporate is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's incredible. Okay, so first off, you didn't know, Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They have fast language acquisition, meaning you're actually going to pick up the language because it's going to provide an immersive experience for you through their program. Speech recognition gives you a trainer for your accent. Convenient, right? You can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Incredible value. 
Lifetime membership has all languages for any and all trips or language needs in life. That's lifetime access to 25 language courses Rosetta Stones offers for 50% off. That's a steal, y'all. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Living Corporate listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com backslash today, today. Danny, man, look, man, I'm going to tell you something like, now, look, I'm not going to act like I don't talk to a lot of executives. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to gas you or lie or play. However, you got to be my top three favorite okay. returning long, long-term friends of the show. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right, Zach. I appreciate you asking. You know, it's, it's always, uh, the work is, is a challenge right now, but for me, it's, it's a challenge in a good way. It's, it's really invigorating and I'm, I'm really enjoying the environment I'm in and the, and the shift in role. Right. So you look, man, let's get right to it, right? Let's get to the T, you know what I'm saying? The Earl Grey, as it were, you know, the last time we spoke, the last two times we spoke, you were the head of DEI at, uh, at Dropbox. Um, you've now taken on head of people at, at Glassdoor, like, Talk to me about talk to me about that transition. You know, we've talked we talked a lot, right, about the fact that you're one of the longer tenured DEI executives that have really been on Living Corporate. Typically, we might have people to come back, but you know, if they come back three times, they've had a job, they've switched jobs four times, right? So, <laughs> talk to me about that journey and, and and some of the differences in the role that you're experiencing. Sure. And I, I think there's some really important points about the journey because getting into this role required not only the work that I do, but also some supportive people and some structures around me. So one of the things that happened while I was at Dropbox was that I had a really wonderful manager, Melanie Collins, who's the chief people officer there. And prior to her going out on maternity leave, she surveyed a number of us who reported to her and asked us which of which of us were interested in potentially becoming a chief people officer at some point. Two of us raised our hands. And so while she was on her six month maternity leave, she gave each of us three months in the role, myself and one of my peers, the two of us who raised our hands. And that was really the first kind of step in, in this direction, giving me the experience and the exposure that I needed to get both myself and, and my peer. Um, what also happened is that at the same time, Glassdoor opened its search shortly after I finished my tenure as an interim chief people officer, but they ended up engaging with a unique organization called Black Progress Matters to do their search. So it's an organization that, that focuses on, um, on recruiting, identifying and recruiting black executives for roles, because to be honest, with my background, even though I'm impressed with my background and think it's great, it's a it's an alternative background for a chief people officer role. It's not a normal route. So that was the second piece that had to come into play. I had a manager who was supportive, I had an organization that was looking for potentially alternative types of candidates. And then the third thing was was the unique match with the organization. So the thing about Glassdoor that they talked about a lot as I interviewed with them was that transparency is obviously paramount for them. That's that's their business. And a lot of 
people traditionally in HR may not be comfortable with that. What's interesting is that being having been a chief diversity officer, transparency is what we live for. That that levels the playing field. It's the foundation of almost all diversity, equity, inclusion efforts. So for me, I was a hundred percent comfortable with with that, and that was something that I encourage and want to see. In addition, I was also in a unique situation where being the chief people officer at Glassdoor is kind of this meta role. Where yes, I'm a chief people officer internally, but they actually want to have the my opinion as well as the perspective of the people from my team on the product and how we use it and and what we can do externally. So there's a there's a business side to this role that doesn't exist traditionally in a lot of chief people officer roles. So it was really this unique kind of connection of a variety of things that that got me there. So I think. So I think the first thing that I'd wanted to share a little bit, and I'll share a little bit more about the role, but but I wanted to start out first about the journey because the journey I think is a, is a different one, and hopefully it's something that your listeners can can at least relate to or connect with in some way and see where they can make different connections to get to something that may be a little bit alternative for them. You know, there's something to be said about like, so you, so I receive everything you said. I'm gonna tell you the through line I heard is empowerment right so i think i not i think there's this pattern i'm seeing and i've continued to see like that these that not every role not everybody these diversity roles like you could they could call you the chief grand poobah of diversity right that there's there's a there's a tight box that they fit you in and there's this presumption of um of uh, inferior business acumen or uh, inferior business acuity consultative or go to market acuity because you are the diversity person. And, and so it's exciting to hear that you're in an environment that empower that, that sees you as a critical point of insight into like the business, which is, I believe like a foundational entry point into like integrating your people strategy with your go-to-market and like your actual business strategy, right? It like it, it 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 transforms even even if it's only subtly or informally, it transforms that role into like it connects it to revenue in some way, and that to me is exciting. Absolutely, absolutely, and and in different companies it will look different. There is somewhere. The signal is really strong between those two. There may be some also where the signal is a little bit weak. To be honest, you know, if you're if you're a B two B company that's working with large corporations selling large types of things, it may be a little bit tougher to make that connection. But the the stronger we can make that connection, I think the the more um, the more relevant we can become to the organization. I also think there's something to um, I, I think that is that's really the Kind of another frontier for all of us who, those of us who are in the diversity, equity, and inclusion roles, um, and and thinking through that and seeing. I, I was just at a conference last week, in fact, where a number of the people talked about it and um, and talked about a lot of their business accomplishments, also with the organizations that they had been with, which I think is is powerful. I think as we as we Move up. What I'm also seeing more so now, as I talk to a number of people, I think DEI people are getting 
um, savvier and more experienced as we as we as we continue in this industry. And so a lot of us, I had people that were asking me about how I was able to um, land a role like this because it's something that they're interested in. And I'm not the first. There are a number of people before me who have moved from DEI to this role. So I'm by no means the first. There are a number of people who've done this, but they were curious about that. And what I'm also finding is that a number of diversity executives are now for their next roles asking for, at a minimum, to have DEI plus some other function. Because the hard part with diversity is that it is traditionally a role with, uh, I like to use a Texas saying, um, big hat, no cattle. Okay? And, and what I mean by that is you have these audacious goals and plans for the organization, but you typically don't own the machinery that executes on that. And that was one of the things that I was excited about in terms of taking on the role of chief people officer because, and I was, I've been fortunate both at Autodesk and at Dropbox to have great partners to work with, but it's different when you have to negotiate with learning and organizational development versus it reports to you. It's different when you have to negotiate with talent acquisition versus when it reports to you. It's a different dynamic. And so, and so even though diversity is only one part of it, the ability to, to Im- embed it naturally, I think, is, is, is amplified when somebody is in this role versus in the, in the, in the, in the role of, of diversity equity and inclusion exec, which kind of works in between everything. Um, that was one of the things that frankly was also exciting to me. That plus I was really looking forward to opining and being a part of overall what's happening strategically with the organization. Uh, you know, that's, that I felt like there were muscles of mine that weren't being exercised. Um, and so it's been, it's been quite enjoyable, even though there've been plenty of challenges along the way. This podcast, Living Corporate, it's brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with the audience, and sell anything from products to content to time, all in one place on your terms. Let me tell you something. Y'all might not know this, but Living Corporate, we started our whole journey on Squarespace. My website. ZacharyNunn.com, it's on Squarespace. I can't tell you how much I appreciate its fluid engine, the ability to create world-class templates and design. It's very intuitive, incredible. We have custom merch through our Squarespace. We have an incredible asset library, so I can always mix it up, switch and swap. It's super dope. And the fact that you can host all types of content, video, audio, all types of media, you can put all on your Squarespace. I can't recommend it enough. If you want to learn more, about Squarespace, check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So we're going to talk about those challenges in a minute. The last, the other thing I'll say to that is like, to your point, right? Like it's tough when you do have these audacious goals as like a DEI officer, but you don't one, you don't have headcount, but then you also don't have authority to like really mobilizing. So it's a lot of influence authority, despite you having a chief title, right? So you're almost really functioning like a senior director or something, or maybe like a, like a strong individual contributor, 
that has some help to help you influence, but not necessarily command anything. And I also think like, it's really counterintuitive, right? To like have this DEI function that by its nature should be thinking and operating systemically, but has no direct authority or control over any systems. So, so you have to like, to your point, like there's negotiating that has to happen all the time. And I mean, look, we're all human beings. So like, there might be a day that you just have, you, you're off. You might not feel like negotiating that day. And so there's a lot of in, in, internalized, there's a lot of pressure that compounds over time because you have to essentially show up as all things to all people all the time, right? Yes. Yes. One of the things, so um, I got into diversity work and I may have said this, I think in one of the previous podcasts, really via my father, who is one of kind of the founding fathers in this work. He started doing diversity, equity, inclusion work in the mid-1980s before it was fashionable. Um, and one of the things that he always said um, as, as the industry progressed was that people in diversity, equity, and inclusion roles should probably think about rotating out of them every three to five years, um, simply because you're, you're constantly kind of pushing, pushing against the grain. In, against different systems in terms of how they work and putting yourself in the middle of discussions where you may not be invited all the time. Sometimes you might be, but sometimes you may not be. Um, and that can, that can take its toll on people over time. So he even said many, many years ago that he thought it was a role that somebody should probably rotate in and out of versus maintaining it over a long period of time for the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, now, now let's go back to what you said though about the challenges, right? Like the landscape right now, um, it's interesting because you, to your point about glass doors, like, I mean, there's, there's the cult, there's the values that you say, and then there's a value, then there's like the culture and the values are just endemic to your brand. And I would say to your point, like, it would be hard for me to imagine glass door not being transparent or embracing transparency as a, as an operational value, as a cultural, as a cultural norm. Um, I think I'm, so my question is. There's this long-standing position that many hold that HR is meant to protect the company and transparency or over-transparency is a weakness because it exposes vulnerability and vulnerability meaning like organizational, reputational, litigious risk. I'm curious, how is it that you apply the principle of transparency and holding to that principle, and at the same time, you are the chief. You are the, you are HR at the company. Like, what does that look like? Like, experientially, practically, what does that mean? Well, I actually believe that transparency is something that, first of all, I think it's good. Let me let me step back. My belief is that there are very few secrets out there, and people are going to find out anything anyway if they want to the question is do you do you do you want to be honest about it as quickly as possible and address it or do you want to try and dodge it for a while and then it comes up in some other form so so i actually believe in the principle that constant and regular transparency is much better hygiene it's almost like scientific principles of, of pressure do you want to like hold all the pressure in and then have an explosion or do you want want to continually let the pressure come out and 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 so you're maintaining kind of a constant state of 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 some kind of a constant state 
So for me, I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in it, first of all, because I think people are going to find out everything anyway, for the most part. So that's number one. The second thing is, like we said before, um, I think it's key for leveling the playing field for everybody. If everybody knows what's going on. It means that I'm opting in as an employee to be here with full information. I can opt out if I hear things and see things that I don't like. But ideally, what you're doing is you're you're getting people who want to um, who, who want to be there. Really think of it like think of it like a relationship. Okay, when you think about a relationship, if you have if it has a significant other, is it better to when things aren't good to shove it under the carpet and keep going, or does that create and lay the seeds for problems later on? Okay, and all and all the workplace is is a relation it's a set of relationships between people who work together and it's a relationship between us as an employer and a set of employees and to me good hygiene with respect to that relationship is us being as open and as honest about about what's happening and what we're all experiencing now what goes along with that is it it doesn't mean that the news is always good so if somebody wants to control the message 100 percent and make sure that what's coming out is making everybody happy and, 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 and feel good, then yes, transparency isn't for you. But again, if I make the parallel, I make the comparison of uh, the relationship between employer and employer being like a relationship with a significant other or a good friend. Um, the best friends and the best long-term relationships that I know, have, that I know of weren't perfect all along. Okay. There are always challenges that we have to go through. The question is, are we proactive about it? Okay. Or do we wait for them to come up and surprise us from behind unexpectedly? Um, so to me, I, I'm a big believer in, in transparency. Now, with respect to, you know, there are some obvious limits that we have um, based, on, based on either legal or ethical principles sometimes. And of course, we follow those. Um, but for the most part, there's a lot that people can share um, that, that, that they choose not to. I mean, for us, for example, you can go to our, you can go to our blog and you can see our salary bands. You can see our, um, you know, you can see our, our comp philosophy. You can see everything in great, great detail. And that means if somebody's coming to this company, they're fully informed when they come to me, that's, that's really powerful. I think full information is better so that each and every one is each and every one of us can make a conscious decision about where we want to be. You know, as I want to keep going on these challenges. So the other thing I'm curious about is on this on the DEI side, right? Like we're seeing we're seeing DEI be under attack, right? We're seeing we're seeing teams take out the word diversity, right? Um, as you look at this landscape now, I you know I, you and I now you and I. Honestly, it's dope. We've actually known each other for years, but I would say, um, I've, I think I've always been on more on the pessimistic side. I don't see corporate DEI existing in the same scale or breadth in the next like three to four years. Like, what do you see for this space in this work? Like to me, it just, it seems as if like we constantly are like renaming and changing and shifting. And now there's these question marks on like what it's legal or not. I, I just, I don't know. Like, how, like, how do you feel about it as you see what's going on? So all of us, and this was a big, a big point of discussion at the conference that I attended last week with a number of 
uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders. This is all obviously top of mind for everybody right now. Um, so let's let's talk about a few things. So one is that um, is that every initiative in an organization, um, every business initiative, goes through phases where things are easy or things are difficult. So I think the first thing is that companies are being tested as to whether or not they were serious about it. So, so the expansion that took place after 2020 um, impacted companies across the board. To me, this is, kind of, this is kind of the period where we see now who was really serious about it and who wasn't. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing. Is there a number of people who did things that may have been more performative? Um, to me, if you, if you put something out there and then once things get a little bit difficult, get rid of it entirely, then you probably didn't care about it to begin with. Right? So, that's, so that's that group. Um, in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion itself, we've always had to make adjustments and be nimble and think through things. So to me, the first thing that happened was, was back in the 19, back during the Reagan years, was the beginning of affirmative action. That was when affirmative action in its true form took root. Then because of of lawsuits and conservative twists and things like that. Then we moved to something like what we have now, what's, what's commonly referred to as the Rooney Rule, as a way as we looked at top of funnel instead. Um, first of all, the current, regula- the, the current rulings that came down were strictly limited to higher education. They weren't applying to corporate, but I think we all know something else is probably coming down the pike because of this and what the court looks like now. So what that means is that we're going to, again, have to get more creative, just like we did in the shift from affirmative action to, to leveraging the Rooney rule. Um, now, the, what I'm going to share a little bit about is not, they, they weren't my insights, they were insights that came from one of the speakers at the conference. But one of the things that he shared, um, forgetting his last name, he works at NYU Law School. And um, and he talked about the fact that um, and it's, it's interesting because it's similar to some of the principles around diversity, equity, and inclusion. One is that um, any place that it can become... So, so first of all, anything that we can do to, to work against bias generically is, is still something that would be protected. So an example of that for what I mean is that before we go through our performance review calibration process, um, before we go through our promotion process, we actually have, and this is common to a number of organizations, we're not unique in this, but a number of organizations, including ours, have people go through um, a very short training or review about different biases and how they and how they come up in the workplace. Recency bias, halo bias, different things like that. So as we talk about, as we raise discussions of bias across the board, um, that's something that will still be, that we'll still be able to do, because again, that's something that lifts all boats. Um, the second, I think, thing that, that we'll want to do is to think through, um, how programming is designed in a way that again, lifts up all groups, um, creates opportunity for all groups, um, but ensures that we're addressing the needs of what may have been under, what may be underrepresented groups in any given organization. A lot of that is around how we how we frame, how we invite people to the table, um, how we encourage people to to participate in things, um, and so any place that we can integrate 
diversity work into how operations function um, will probably be something that will be more sustainable versus standalone types of programs that sit outside of the mainstream. So, the, so I think what we lose, what we lose in the process, because there's always trade-off, what we lose in the process is the hyper-focus. So that, that we lose. For the ones that are really smart about it, what we do gain is that the focus really has to be systemic now. Okay? So it's not about creating an alternative system. If we create an alternative system that sits outside of the regular mainstream, that is what will be at risk. If you are integrating things in a way that, um, that, that helps the populations that, that you'd like to really focus on, as well as creating something that's available for other populations, then I think that's the kind of thing that will sustain itself. And what's been interesting, just to say one more thing before you, before you jump in, is that, is that one of the things that I found a lot of times when we started to do certain things around diversity was that people would say, oh, this is great. I want to do it for all my employees. And so we would do that. An example for me of that is when we were at Dropbox, and I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts, as part of our diversity retention efforts, we started doing stay interviews. And we found that stay interviews were engagement interviews. And we found that there was a pretty significant impact to retention to populations that we did that with versus populations that we didn't. Um, my manager at, at, at Dropbox said, hey, this is great. I'd actually like to do this for everybody. And so we ended up doing a light version, a lighter version of this across the entire company. Um, so that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, usually um, there's another speaker that we had come into one of our DEI offsites when I was at Dropbox who talked about when you solve for the edges, you end up figuring out things for everybody. Um, that's what the, the essence of DEI work is a lot of times, solving for the edges and, and, and coming up with solutions that apply to everybody. And so I think we're just going to have to probably solve for the edges and come to these more global solutions a little quicker than we have in the past. You know, you know, as we talk about this and as we, in the landscape, you know, this, this idea of, of integration, like, it, and, and rather it, your DEI or workplace fairness or equity or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, some, I'm, there are some groups now calling themselves like the inclusive experiences team. Um, them being like infused or like woven into the fabric of the organization. I mean, and honestly, that was feedback and guidance that folks have been saying for a while. It just seems like now the, pre the, 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 the uh, environmental pressures I'll say are now making that to where that's the way that this is going to sustain. Right. 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 Now the, the one thing, so yes, absolutely. But there's going to going to be a yes. And, and I've heard this from, from other people and other peers um, what is critical to the success of it is to have a key leader who still is passionate about and, and cares about diversity. So if you're not, if I'm not going to have a chief diversity officer in my company, do I have a CEO who still is kind of spiritually driving this? Do I have a chief people officer who still is interested in spiritually driving this? Um, I know there will be people out there very appropriately so who will say, well, if you bury it within the organization in these different places, you lose the focus. And that certainly is a possibility. And so, and so to me, I think where you have, where I've seen things work best is where you have that CEO chief people officer alignment 
around diversity, equity, inclusion, because if you have that, you pretty much pick up most of the opportunities and are able, and things don't fall through the cracks. If you don't have that, if they're ambivalent, um, then, then things may get lost in the cracks if you don't have a chief diversity officer in place who's, who is on a regular basis um, kind of beating the drum on behalf of diversity and advocating for diversity. Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mama. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm right there with you. You know, let's talk a little bit more about Glassdoor, right? Like, we're, we're, we're having this interview towards like the end of the year. I'm going to say, cause right. Cause you I mean, we're like, oh, it's August, you know, we're going to look up. It's going to be November. And by the time, honestly, Halloween comes, the year is kind of over. So like, I'm curious, like, like, like what, 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 what have you been most proud of at Glassdoor and the work that you've been able to do? And then what are you most excited about? So for Glassdoor, I think this is going to sound, this is going to sound, uh, I, I think the first, thing that I'm, I've been really excited about is, is really getting to know my organization and getting my arms around the organization and the people in it. Um, and when I say my organization, I mean, in particular, the people team, the, the people, places and experiences team. Um, it's been, you know, it's been a, a challenging year. I, I, the first month I came in, we instituted a hiring freeze across the company. Um, four months later, we had a 15, four or five months later, we had a 15% layoff that my team had to help drive. Um, you know, we've had some open roles, uh, open leadership roles with that, within my team. And so it hasn't been easy necessarily. There have been, so there have been some challenging circumstances and situations that we've faced together, but I've really enjoyed getting to know them. And I can also say that them, as well as the executive team, I felt like, um, I have felt like it is a, a very, a very kind of low, low key political environment. So there are places where sometimes you have to, you know, you have to watch yourself, um, be, be really conscious of things. And it's not that I don't think about things all the time, but, um, but I find that the environment is one where um, if there have been challenges, it's been about the work, not about interpersonal, not about interpersonal stuff as much. Yeah. So, so that for me has been, has been a lot of fun. Um, I think the, thing that I'm probably probably most proud of so far would be <laughs> this is going to sound really weird and really technical um, but the, the thing that I underestimated um, 
frankly, um, in, ta in taking on a chief people officer role was the extent to which um, we spend on, on compensation. I totally underestimated that. As I talk with my peers now in different peer environments, they basically tell me that they all spend roughly 30 to 40% of their time on comp. And I didn't realize that when I took on this role. And I've had to do a crash course in, in, in comp. And fortunately, I've had um, a team that's been patient with me. I've got some really strong people in comp, but I've had to learn a ton. And, um, and I'm proud now that I feel like I can navigate at least, at least one part of it. I've got, I've got the 101 course done. I need some other, some other courses and everything, but, um, but I've, I'm proud of both that as well as the ability to, I think, adapt. A lot of this year has been about adapting to different things, particularly as the, as the economic environment has changed. Um, on, the more, on the more proactive kind of perspective front, I think what I'm most excited about that we've launched is we have launched a process to create company-wide competencies. Um, now, I know competencies for some of you out there may, may not seem like a sexy, fun thing. But the reason why I'm so passionate about them is a couple of things. One is that they provide an opportunity for you and I to have a clear discussion about how you're doing on what the expectations are for your role. So some good managers are really good at creating that, others not so good. But if we all have the same guide that we're starting with to begin with, I think that makes a difference across the organization. What that also gives, the ancillary effect of that is that then I, as an individual contributor, understand how to navigate the organization. I can see exactly what it takes to be at the next level. Or if I'm in a position that has kind of a, a natural endpoint in terms of career, maybe I'm in a role where there really isn't space for something to be above director, I can look and see what senior director looks like in other parts of the organization and understand what competencies are required there. Um, and maybe, ex maybe explore my ability to be able to move over to another group. Um, this, of course, again, um, the third point is transparency and diversity. This makes the game much more transparent and makes it, gives everybody the ability to navigate things much better throughout the organization. So to me, that's a year-long project that we're engaged in on my team. Um, I also, I know, because we went through this when I was at Dropbox, for me, it was just fun when I was there to think about what, what the key skills and development points are for becoming a chief diversity officer and to be able to write that out and then to be able to coach my team on it when I was there. So I think and hope that as we start to involve the leaders within Glassdoor in the process, that they'll feel the same excitement that I did. It's really, it's, I think it's really neat to reflect on what it takes to, to, to grow into the roles that we have. So, so for me, that's probably the one that's top of mind. And then one other one that's top of mind is that we have definitely um, put a stake in the ground that we are a remote first or virtual first organization. So for us, um, I actually, what I did is I actually pivoted one of my teams. So we have a, a work, the workplace experience team, which um, traditionally focuses a lot on real estate reports to me. What I did is I split that team and had half of them continue with real estate, but the other half become an events and experiences team to help us think through how to really create amazing virtual experiences. I, I feel I know people talk about Zoom fatigue and a variety of things, but I feel like 
Zoom fatigue a lot of times is a product of poorly designed virtual experiences. Because I've had virtual, I've had virtual experiences where the time flies by like that. Okay, uh, and those are well designed. Um, and so when I think about regular meetings and how they're structured, when I think about virtual offsites and how I structure them, when we think about all hands or town halls and how we structure them virtually, um, how do we make those engaging opportunities for connection um, and making sure that we're achieving the objectives that we want to with them? And so we created a whole team to do that. Um, and so us, that's only one small part. We're looking at our meeting culture. We're looking at poor collaboration hours. We're looking at working increasingly asynchronously by default where we can and trying to have meetings be interactive time for debate, dialogue, and key decision-making. Um, our whole sense of work practices, I think, will need to change as we become virtual first organizations. And there are a number of us that are trying to figure this out, some more advanced than others. We're probably in between on our journey. That's something that I'm really excited about that my team is also leading this year. That sounds incredible. And, and Dan, I'm going to tell you something, man, like it's obvious that they made the right decision to bring you in as a head of the chief. I'm t- I, come on, look how you like, and it's, I also think like what's so dope about this is like, there's some meta observation and commentary here around like really what isn't, what does an effective like chief people officer, head of people really look like, right? Like the fact that you're thinking about the, the employee experience end to end and the various dynamics within that right all the time and then not only about like what you're doing but how you're then mobilizing your team you know look let's i have i have like two more questions okay so like so so you know the the proliferation of ai uh, particularly these language learning models and um <laughs> intersecting with labor and all this like i'm curious like where do you see paths of potential success like what what about ai excites you as it pertains to employee experience and let's just say the broader concept of, or topic of workplace fairness and then what are things that you're genuinely concerned about that bring you any pause sure so i'm i'm one who is generally more in the excited about it camp in general so i'll, I'll start there definitely um, because it's something that i've spent a decent amount of time thinking about and i'm pushing different different members of my team to think about and explore. I think the first thing that that um, people always go to the address of job elimination a lot of times when we talk about this. But somebody else flipped the way that I think about it. I was at a I was at a chief people officer event and there was this person who spoke who she wasn't speaking, we were just in a discussion, just the two of us. And she's an external consultant who works with a lot of organizations. And she said another way to think about artificial intelligence or, or generative AI is not necessarily as a replacement for people, but think of it as another member of your team. So you've got your head of total rewards, you've got all these people on your team. What would this generative AI person who's reporting to you do? They might do work across your team, just like in diversity or anything else. They might have a discrete function that they perform. Um, but for me, that's the first thing that I started to think about. The second thing is um, what I look at is, is there low value work that our people are doing? When I say low value, I don't mean that it's not necessarily valuable to the organization. What I mean is that it cognitively doesn't require as much from them. Um, and so are there ways 
that we can move that out and have um, and have AI cover that versus them having to do it. And it's not with the goal of eliminating their role. It's it's with the goal of making them more of a value add to the organization and giving them potentially more fun, interesting, engaging, and impactful work. Okay? So to me, that's the second part. A third one is anything that is at volume where we're kind of overrun. The example right now that we're, we're working through is that um, we have, because of the tightening of, um, of the market recently, when we open roles now, I was just in a meeting today um, up with, my, with my talent acquisition team. And, and one of the things they were talking about is how they rate the difficulty of roles that they have to hire because they're not all equal. And so one of the fun facts that they shared with me was that pre-pandemic, the average number of applications that they would get in for a role was, um, was about 25, 25 to 30. Um, now in this environment, when we open roles, we get on average over 250 applications. Okay? I'll give you some personal examples that I have. I recently opened um, and, in the, and toward the tail end of interviewing for a senior director of diversity role that we'll report to. Exactly, yes. We had over 700 applications in five days. We had to take we had we had to take it off. We had to take it off at that point because it was just too much for the recruiter to go through. So when I think about situations like that, that's something where I see some type of AI tool hopefully coming in, being able to help us to solve for these 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 bottlenecks that we have. So to me, again, thinking of it framework wise as as a partner to augment the work that I do and as a team member, um, thinking about low value work versus high value work. And are there places where there are repetitive things being done at volume where it can come in and help? To me, those are the immediate, those are some of the immediate applications. I think, I think the, um, the fear that I have is, is that I found sometimes that the fear is, that, is about the fear that people have of it. <laughs> And, and, and that, and that is that, um, and that is that a lot of people fear that, um, it's going to take their jobs. I know for some people, um, on my team that I wanted to ask to explore it, um, you know, one person was a little resistant at first and it took me a while to get them to move along and say, okay, what was funny was that they flipped entirely once they got into it. And they learned a ton and now they're becoming one of the advocates for it. But getting over that hump a lot of times at the beginning is is difficult because people see their value as threatened. Um, I always, to me, this is another one of those big trends. I used to, a lot of times when I've done presentations, I've done presentations about all the jobs that exist today that did not exist before 2007 because that was the advent of the iPhone. So mobile app developers, um, a lot of the social media people, they, all these roles that now exist that were either a function of the phone itself or because of the access that we got through apps on the phone all of a sudden started to exist. Okay? I feel like AI is the same um, where we're going to have a whole new set of, of roles and, and needs that, that all of a sudden exist. The other fear that I'll mention is that I do believe in, in a meta sense, it will probably create as many roles as it might destroy. But the matchup between those two is always hard because it's probably going to be um, white collar augmented roles that are created and probably blue collar 
um, or more repetitive roles, more low value roles, where for somebody to make the jump from there to there um, is either going to be difficult, is, 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 may, may, may be fraught with, with difficulty and obstacles. So that's a real, I think, practical fear that we'll have to work through as we, as we integrate AI into what we do. You know, there's something to be said also, like, so, so, you know, like, so living corporate and I'm, you know, we can talk about this a little bit later, but living corporate, you know, we have our own AI models that we built. Right. And like part of our internal philosophy is, Hey, this is, we're treating this like a really smart college intern. <laughs> right. Like, 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 like we're going to ask it to do something and then we're going to review it several times and then we'll move forward. Right. Like, this attitude, I think, of, you know, treating AI like it's this thing that's going to just ideate out of nothing. I think it's frankly informed by a lot of pop culture. Terminator has been very popular, the Matrix, right? So we think like, oh, it's like this thing that can like think and move. And like, it's like, not really, right? And I think the other piece, though, is something you said about like the fact that AI um, is not about role replacement, but role enrichment. I agree that presumes though a certain level of ethics in your business. Right. And so like, there's something to be said for, and, and you know, I hope that there's a, um, a rise. And I mean, well, fr- they, frankly, they keep on silencing all the black women that have, that have been raising all these concerns. I, I'm, I'm hopeful for some type of return or some type of acknowledgement of an embracing of, 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 of truth there that, Hey, this thing, this intern <laughs> can create all this stuff. Treat it like an intern. Don't treat it like a one-to-one copy of this 15-year experienced person who has all this expertise. Train the, you know, allow the, the person who has the, the historical knowledge and expertise to, just like it would mentor an intern, manage and oversee these these AI tools, right? Um, and, and so, and so I'm ex- I, I too, I too fall in the excited bucket. Um, but it's because I'm, but, but it's the premise I'm engaging. I, like, I also do see, and it's just, it's wild because like some of this kind of goes with like, like the reality of like this late stage capitalist society. I don't know. Maybe we might be on late stage at this point, uh, but it's just, everyone's trying to figure out how to just extract as much and ex- in exchange for as little as possible. And so like, my hope is that people do embrace your philosophies, Danny, more than the opposite. And really think about it like, okay, we have this we have this tool that has now handled some of these low value, again, low cognitive function, like low cognitive uh, uh, tasks. We still now have an accountability and responsibility to create an, uh, create an experience for this employee who has value outside of pressing zeros and ones every day. Right. Okay. Now, look, now, Danny, I'm gonna be honest. We could talk forever, but. But but you've dropped so many bars. I'm going to end it here. The, 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 here's what I'll, as we wrap up, man, like, here's my question. I'll just kind of give you last last word here is, you know, the landscape full of fears, anxieties, concerns. I keep on saying this in a lot of these, in our, a lot of our conversations recently is I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I'm going to embrace the fact that every white executive is not some, Monopoly man, evil guy. Okay. And I want to, I want to believe that there are folks out there who really want to do 
right, even in this moment, but are unsure of what to do and where to start. If you were to give like just three points of advice in this season and, and, and for context, cause in, in case, you know, when, when the alien, well, I mean, the aliens are here, but when, when the aliens reveal themselves and they hear this recording 500 years from now, the season we're talking about is, you know, political unrest coming into a presidential election, 2024, um, SCOTUS decisions, like, what advice would you give in this season to a well-meaning executives trying to do the right thing? Yeah. Um, so there are a couple things. I think one is to, is to recognize the influence that, that you have through little micro actions. And I have a couple of examples for you. One that somebody else does and one that I do. One that somebody else does is um, is our chief operating officer that I work with here at Glassdoor. His name is Owen Humphreys. And in our meetings, one of the things that I noticed very early on is that, and he still does this all the time, is that when, when we were in meetings and he would talk about something that maybe we had talked about earlier or that I had mentioned something about earlier, he would always make a point of saying, like Danny said before, da 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 he all he he did that on a regular basis and acknowledged and acknowledged things that that I'd said or that we had talked about in other forums. Um, it wasn't that I was talked over by anybody or anything like that, but he he made a point to do that. And and as somebody who was new to the company, I felt like that was really building my credibility within the organization in a significant way. Um, and it's something that he just did unconsciously. I think he didn't make a point. He wasn't my mentor or anything like that officially, but um, he made a point to do that. Another thing that he made a point to do was to be kind of my resource to explain things to me outside of the meeting that I might not know because I was new to the organization. He would slack me about certain things where people were discussing things that I didn't have background on and, and tell me what was happening and why we got to where we were. So framing and being my, my glass door historian to some extent, um, so, so, so I shared those as individual actions that, that he took that were really powerful for me. One that I've taken a lot is that many times in our senior executive meetings, there are groups of people who will come in to make a presentation on something, but one person, usually the senior person will be the primary person who presents. One of the things that I do is when they're either during or when they're close to done with their presentation, I always ask all the other people who are usually a few levels below them who come in with them, what their opinion is on something and what they found most interesting about it. Uh, because to me, um, everybody looks at the elephant in a different way. Some people see the snout, some people see the tail, some people see the side. And so I like to hear from them and I'm assuming they're in the room for a reason. Um, I've actually gotten private notes from people afterward who said that they really appreciated the fact that I gave them the space to speak, that they weren't normally accustomed to doing that in a senior executive meeting. Um, and that it really made a difference to them. And sometimes their managers even would write to me and tell me that. And it's something that my CEO separately said now that he wants to start doing when he's in different meetings because people are presenting to him all the time and he noticed it. So I guess what I'm getting at is don't underestimate. I know we have these things that are going on globally, not, not necessarily worldwide, but at a larger scale that may seem insurmountable. But, but don't discount both the power individually that you have with other people and um, what 
modeling certain behaviors can do and how it can catch on with other folks. I didn't talk to my CEO about doing what I'm doing in terms of talking to junior people in presentations. He just told me, yes, I like that you do that. I'm starting to do that now. <laughs> so um, so those are kind of two, two easy takeaways, I'd say. And then the last one I'd say is that no matter what, no matter what the Supreme Court or Congress or anybody else tries to legislate, diversity isn't going away because diversity is people. Our, our, our country is becoming increasingly diverse. That's not ending. And so, yes, we can try and do these things, but it's like, it's like water. You know, you don't stop water. It's going to find another way in. And so, and so even though the ways that we've done things um, may be challenged and we may have to revisit them, it's not the end and there will still be opportunities. And it's something that every executive, I think, needs to continue to think about because it is our employee base. It is, it is the people that work for, work for us and the people who we're recruiting. And so no matter what anybody says in the Supreme Court, that's not changing. And it's a strategic imperative for each and every one of us. Ooh, ooh. Mic drop. <laughs> Danny, I appreciate you, man. Look, you know you're a friend of the show, a friend of mine. Um, I look forward to having you back soon. We'll talk later, man. Thanks, Zach. And I just want to say one more thing. I really appreciate the platform that Living Corporate creates. It's really powerful. I'm excited for what you're doing and where you're taking things. And I know all of us in the community want to support you and will continue to find ways to support the work that you and the team are doing. So thank you for being you and playing this role. It's, it's oh, critical man. and we appreciate it. Oh, all right, man. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate you too. We'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> And we're back. Yo, shout out to Danny Gillery. Shout out to the work the Glassdoor is doing. Really critical things they're doing over there in the world of transparency and accountability um, and employee experience. And also just shout out, shout out to the leaders aiming to lead, right? This is not an easy time for anybody. Um, and so I'm not ignorant to, nor am I in, in, insensitive to the, the significant minority of executive leaders trying to do the right thing. <laughs> significant minority, for sure. But significant, real talk, though. So we appreciate you. Uh, much love. Make sure you take care of yourselves each other. Remember, keep everything in its place. And hug somebody that you love. Make sure you tell somebody you love them today. Real talk, life is not promised. Okay? I love you. I'll talk to you later. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.